Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. Was he really saved? Was he really saved? That was the question that was posed this past Wednesday night as we had begun our new series, How We Got the Bible. We encourage you to come be a part. If you've ever wondered, how do we get God's Word? How did it pass along from generation to generation? How should I understand the King James Version and how it came together, the Greek, the Hebrew, how all this fits, right? How does it apply to me? Can I trust it? Is it truly God's Word? But in the midst of that, again, the question was, was he really saved? The question involved that of a famous Christian author. A uh, speaker who had just come out saying that not only as was he leaving his wife, that he was denying the faith. It was shocking. This wasn't just someone way out in left field. This was a conservative biblical teacher, well-known and respected author. And so there we were in the midst of Wednesday night asking this question, right? Was there evidence of his conversion? Was this man truly saved to begin with? What's happening? How could someone who has preached and teach God's word, who's written and influenced many, many people for their faith now come out and say that what I once believed, I no longer believe. My guess is that maybe some of you have that. This past week, I was talking to an individual who has been in Christ more years than I've been alive. And this is what their struggle was this week. I'm struggling wondering if I'm truly saved. So again, I, I don't know where you land, but my assumption is even if you've been in Christ many years, it's possible to have moments and seasons where you wonder, am I truly saved? Will I actually get into heaven? Do I truly believe this? Right. And so listen, in answering this question, it's not just simply, well, did you pray a prayer or were you baptized? Listen, there's all kinds of people that can check those boxes. Those are starting points, but that's not the ultimate end point. We're looking at that and asking further. Why? Because people like Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ. Listen, he can check boxes like this. Cast out demons. Check. Heal the sick. Check. Preach the gospel. Check. Walk with Jesus on the earth. Check. And yet we hear in places like John 6 where Jesus says to the twelve, Have I not chosen you? And yet one of you is a what? Is a devil. John says he said this about Judas Iscariot who was to betray him. We hear in other places of the gospel about this Judas that he seemed outwardly concerned about the poor. But the writer tells us it wasn't actually that he cared about the poor. But the fact is he had handling of the money bag of their money purse and he liked to help himself to it so he wasn't really concerned about the poor he was concerned about how it might impact his cut and then we come to the last night of jesus's life and there's judas betraying jesus for how many pieces of silver do you remember 30 pieces of silver so when we ask about the evidence of your conversion, we must be asking questions not only about your way of life, we're ultimately trying to get at the heart. Do you see that? We must get to the heart. And I ask, is there an evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life, putting to death the things of the flesh? Is there evidence of your conversion? And maybe, listen, 
We need today look to see an endless pursuit of our own ways, thoughts, and desires and recognize that it's possible to come into this church or any church and serve and lead and give and go all for your own power, your own glory, or your own self-righteousness. Today's text is one that helps us answer the question, am I really saved? Is there evidence of my conversion that marks the true results of salvation? Why? Because Isaiah's just finished, Isaiah 53. Right, if you were with us last week, one of the most beautiful passages, we walked through it for two weeks, just that one chapter, talking about what it means that this servant, this suffering servant, would come and die and on the cross, ultimately be buried and raised again, and that he would see his offspring, those for whom he died. And now Isaiah is going to say, listen, guys. He's going to help us say, listen, this death and resurrection for you should impact and transform the way that you live. It should transform who you are. So Isaiah writes and says, listen, There's some things, the servant's victory, it's going to transform your heart. And this transform, transformation of your heart brings you to a place of continually praising Him. Of continually proclaiming Him. And continually prioritizing Him. So this morning, we start out, let's remind ourselves again, the first one, Jesus' victory, it transforms our hearts. Isaiah is going to say, so that we are continually praising Him. But this praising, listen, it doesn't mean it's just automatic or comes easy, right? This call to praise God is despite their circumstances and counter to their culture. Listen to this. This call to praise God is despite their circumstances and counter to their culture. Listen to this statement. Verse 1 of Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. So the call is to sing. Look further. By one who has not bared children. Look further further with me. Break forth into singing. Again, they're called to break forth. This call to singing. And cry aloud, you who have, look what it says here, not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Now listen, we hear this today, but you must understand their culture. Their culture in which they live, it, it's, it's, it's maybe similar in some ways to ours, but different. Why? Because their culture, listen, having children made or broke you, right? I mean, that's why you hear those there declaring statements like, give me children or I die, right? There's this, this culture in which they live. Why? Because maybe three things, right? We could say many, but maybe three. One is children were so important. Why? Because the more children that you had, the better that your family could do, right? You have more people to now help with crops. You have now more people that can now help with your family business, whatever it is, right? You can just produce more. So it helps your family. So children were very important. Secondly, children were important to this culture. Why? There was no nursing home, right? When you got old, if you didn't have children, listen, and often many times you needed multitudes of children. Why? Because many children didn't live that long, right? There's all kinds of opportunities throughout that for those children to die at early ages. But they needed children, why? To protect them into old age for someone to care for them. Thirdly, listen, the, the, the reason why this culture so valued having children is it, because of the fact, listen, it was protection. Like as you lived in those areas, you had this tribe was here and this tribe was there. And if you didn't have enough children, guess what? By, by just the numerical data... They would outproduce you and then they would conquer you. So you understand that when you hear this culture, right? 
And this call for someone who has not had children, this one that's never been in labor, to sing, it is absolutely astounding and crazy. It makes no sense. Like, why would this person sing? Right? And listen, this is what's transforming about it. Not only, listen, this culture, why it was so oppressive for them, for these ladies not to have had children is, it's not only because it seemed like they were hurting their family, they were hurting the community at large. The danger of that people of this day, listen, Tim Keller made this statement, I thought it was so insightful. The danger of the people of that day is they had taken a good thing, family, and they had made it an ultimate thing. The danger of the people of that day is they had taken a good thing, the family, and they had now made it an ultimate thing, an idol. Now listen, in our culture, we battle some of the same thing. Right? I mean, for some of us, family has become an idol. Like it's our sense of purpose. It's what makes life matter. So if a woman doesn't have children or she can't have children, then she feels worthless as if her purpose in this life has been completely missed. We must remind ourselves, beloved, if this life is about having a family and having children, then Jesus Christ epically failed. But some of you, listen, you recognize maybe that our culture doesn't maybe look exactly. It doesn't like one-to-one exactly for you. Like you don't value that. That's not a value to you anyway. So you're like, I, it's not bothering me. But listen, for maybe you in this culture that your value is looks or money or career. So the culture just keeps pressing in on you, listen, to say you're not significant if you don't look a certain way. Right? If you can't dress a certain way, like, I mean, you're just, you're just out. For some of you, listen, if you don't have the newest phone or the newest, the newest game or you've not traveled the newest dev- destination, then the culture says to you, you've not yet arrived. You're not significant in your class. You're not significant on your job. You're not significant in social media. Right? I mean, what do you have to post about anyway? Right? I mean, your life just appears like a boring. Or maybe your career is at the low end, right? Like, I mean, you just, your job is the low end. Everybody else appears at the high end. And for some of you, listen, maybe you're there and you think maybe your job's at the high end, but you walk down the hallway and you see that title on that other person's door and it's a reminder to you like, man, I, I, I may be here, but I'm not there. Like you drive down the road and you see your farm, but then you look at that farm and you think, man, it's just not that farm. I mean, you walk into your house, but then you see that other house and you think, man, it's just not that house. And listen, all of us, listen, we are battling things in the culture and our scream, our culture is screaming to us. If you just had that, then you'd be happy. What is it for you? If you just had that, what would what would the that be for you? Then you would be able to sing this morning. Right? And that's what's so amazing about this moment. Is that Isaiah writes to people who have not experienced the that of this culture. And he says, you still have a reason to praise him. You can sing. You can have joy. Why, Isaiah? Right? Like, I mean, like, I need to know that not only for that culture, I need to know it for my own culture. That's what he says here. Sing again, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor for. Isaiah's going to make his argument right here. Look what he says. For the children of the desolate one. So this one that's been barren. Listen. Something's going to happen. They're going to be what? Be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Isaiah says, guys, you're going to receive something greater than children. 
You're going to receive from this servant something that is greater than looks, something that's greater than power, something that's greater than, than, than listen, a career. You're going to receive something that is whatever you think that is in the culture. That screams to your heart like if I just had that game, if I could just go on that trip, if I just got to that job, if I just got to that in my family, if I could just have that relationship, if I could just have that marriage, like whatever that is for you. Isaiah says, I want you to know that that is an empty well. And there's actually something that will satisfy you even if the that never comes. And so he's saying, listen, there's a transformation that's happened. Why? Because he's using the analogy, right, of the woman, comparing this woman to Israel, to the people of Judah. And he's saying, listen, it's just like us in our sins. Maybe you're here today and you feel spiritually barren. You feel spiritually rejected and forgotten, insignificant and alone because of your sins. But listen, because of Christ, you now have a reason to rejoice. Why? Because your shame has been taken away forever. I was telling to the boys, we were singing there. I was like, dude, he took your blame. That's the ultimate loving your neighbor as yourself. He took your blame. He bore the wrath. I was like, guys, look what you're singing. That's a reason to rejoice. He says, listen, I want you to know I've taken you to be my very own. Verse 5, and he talks about the fact that he's their maker. He's their husband. He says, I'm going to give you what the culture or what your heart most longs for could never satisfy. Something more valuable than having children even of your own to that culture. I'm going to give you everlasting peace and eternal joy. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with pregnancy. Maybe miscarriages and negative pregnancy tests stand this morning and mock and laugh in your face. I want you to hear that those things don't define you. That doesn't make you any more than the sins and failures of the people of God now define them. Why? Because Christ has become our ultimate victory. Christ's triumph over sin in the grave has become our true moment of vindication. The seal over our lives that says, I am actually significant. I do matter. Why? Because Christ, the most valuable Son of God, died for me. That's my true value. And the culture or whatever I'm most after will never, ever satisfy. So stop letting the culture tell you this morning you're only important if you can wear an extra small shirt and rip the sleeves out. Stop allowing the court. The culture tell you that your importance comes from the fact that the students in your classroom, if they get a certain return on their test scores of this, then you're actually a good teacher. Then you're actually matter. Then you're actually making a difference. Our culture, listen, is trying to scream everything at you. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself miserable. Now, listen, before we move on, I want to make mention of maybe just something important here. Just because we're called to praise God despite our circumstances doesn't mean that God isn't aware of our circumstances. So just because we're called to praise God in our circumstances doesn't mean that God isn't aware of your circumstances. Look at this. I only have a few moments here, but I want to make this point. Verse 11, here, the same chapter. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. God acknowledges and sees the storms of your life are slamming against you. He sees it. 
He knows the culture in which you live. He knows the desires of your heart. He sees what you're experiencing. He knows that you are afflicted. He knows that the waves and the storm and the darkness of night just seems to keep overwhelming and surrounding you as if it won't go away. And he says, listen, I realize that you don't even feel comforted. You don't even feel like anybody cares or notices or has made mention or has checked on you in weeks or months or years. But look what he says here. Behold. Behold. I will set your stones. Look what he's going to do. He's going to transform more. Remember, they're in captivity in Babylon, right? The Babylonians came in, destroyed all the walls, right? They destroyed all the city. They ransacked and destroyed on the temple. They think everything is hopeless. And he says, I want you to know it seems hopeless to you. And the culture would say, your life's over. Just end it. Who's even going to miss you when you're gone? Some of you are dealing with that this morning. Suicide. Listen to what he says. I will set your stones. He's going to lay your foundations, your gates, and all your wall of precious stones. He says, I'm going to restore Jerusalem. But listen, there's something greater than Jerusalem. There's something greater that He's going to do. He is going to set up a kingdom that will never end, right? I mean, you, you, you start hearing some of this stuff about, right? I mean, these agate and these sapphires and you start thinking, that's Revelation 21. There's going to come these gates of pearl and streets of what? Of gold. And you start seeing all these costly jewels on, I mean, everything. You're saying, that's the kingdom that's coming. And Isaiah's saying, yes! That's the one that Christ is bringing. And I want you to know that even though you're afflicted and storm-tossed and not comforted now, that I am going to bring a transformation. So what's amazing is that just as God can make a barren Sarah, right? Abraham and Sarah. He can make her more fruitful and more fertile than Hagar. So He can take us who are dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2 and 1, and use us, use you to bring blessings to the world. And this brings us to our second evidence of conversion. Not only is there ongoing praise because of the transformation of our hearts. Listen, Jesus' victory transforms our hearts so that we are continually proclaiming Him. There's now an evidence or desire to let others know what you have received. Listen to this. Verse 2 of Isaiah 54. He says to them, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Now the tent right here that's being used, he's personifying the ideal way of life. He's saying to them, guys, listen, you remember how when we walked there and we had the tent and God's presence was with us, we had we had the fire by what? Night and the pillar of cloud by what? By day, yes, stay with me, come on. Listen, he was saying, listen, we would set that tent up and we'd see the, the glory of God fall and we would see all that experience, this, this intimate relationship with God. He says, I want you to know that's coming in a way that you could never even imagine. And it won't be just God above you. It's going to actually be God in you. And he says to them, and ultimately to us as the church, you need to enlarge your tent. But listen, this again is crazy. Just as crazy as for someone that's barren to sing, it's now crazy for a people in captivity to think they need to be enlarging their tent. Like, dude, we're, we're in captivity. This is not even possible, right, to think that the nations could become our inheritance. I'm assuming that 
On August 28, 1963, as Dr. King stood there, the Washington Monument there in Washington, D.C., and he stood on those steps of the, sorry, the Lincoln Memorial, and he looked out over 250 plus thousand people, and he reminded them that in 1863, 100 years prior, this, this emancipation of proclamation had been set that slaves would be free and said, yet he says these words, and a hundred years later, we are still not free. And now here, listen, we stand 50 plus years removed from Dr. King's and we realize that we live in a nation that is divided and hostile to one another so much so that a man will walk into a Walmart in El Paso, Texas and begin to kill people because of the color of their skin and where they are from. That's the nation you live in. And if we're not careful, we become jaded to it because we've seen so many of it or for maybe for some of us. It's because maybe the people that are killed aren't white, and so it doesn't seem that big a deal. But listen, by the power of Christ transforming our hearts, there's a call for us to love, to befriend, to walk beside our brothers and sisters, African Americans, this community. There's a call for some of you to develop true relationships with Hispanics and Mexicans and migrant workers that are on your farms, and you are building relationship, I hope and pray. You are pouring into them and proclaiming to them, Jesus Christu. Right? You're, you're telling them the hope of Christ. Listen, as we read this text today, we must realize, listen, there's a call for a larger tent. One, we're black and white. Citizen and immigrant. Poor and rich. Uneducated and educated. Young and old. Male and female. One tent. For which we can all live under together. And that one tent is Christ and His coming kingdom. This is the hope. For not only 700 B.C. This is the hope for America today. It is Christ. But the question is, how is this tent going to enlarge? How is this kingdom going to come? If they don't know about what the servant did on their behalf. And how are they going to know unless this church goes and knocks on their doors and invites them and and tells them? How are they going to know unless this church, you, live your daily life sharing with family, friends, co-workers about the hope of Christ? Listen, this tent will, it will spread large and it will bring the nations under it with or without me, with or without you, with or without this church. But beloved, do we not want to be about our father's business? I want to be a part of that. The danger of us, like the danger for these people is, listen, they're in captivity. This seems so far away. In fact, Isaiah writes this in some 700 B.C. That means it's 700 more years before Christ is even going to come. And it can get hard waiting. So it is with us. Christ has now come. He's been crucified, buried, and raised. It says that He was seen and believed upon for a period of about 40 days. And then He ascends back to the Father in heaven. And now we are waiting between when He ascended back into heaven and to when He'll split the skies and return. And sometimes the waiting in between just begins to wonder, is it worth it? Is it even real? Does it even matter to proclaim Him? But listen. Listen, if we're not careful, right, we might be give up. I might become tempted to say, listen, this church is, listen, let's just be honest. 
We're not seeing the growth that we would love to see. I mean, when's the last time you've seen folks baptized? Can you remember them? I mean, at times I look and think, God, my ministry, my time, my effectiveness almost appears to be growing at a turtle's pace. And so the temptation might be, you know what? This church just needs somebody else. Some of you might be tempted today to think, listen, because you're between when Christ was ascended and when He's returning, you're living in between. You're living in the midst of a Babylonian world. You might be tempted to say, I'm just going to stop inviting them or ever telling them about Jesus. They don't ever seem to want to listen or come to church anyway. This church might be tempted to say, why am I going to go knock on any more doors? doesn't seem that anybody ever cares or wants to come. Listen, the reason why they can believe and hope in this is verse 3. Look what he says. 4. You will spread abroad to the right to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. He says, I want you to know why it's going to happen. Because I'm going to do it. We too, as the church, have this same hope as Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against it. He promises just as it, listen, this enlarging of the tent is entrenched in what God is going to do. So the enlarging of the church is entrenched in what Christ has done and will continue to do by the power of his spirit and the word of God. And by your faithful witnessing right where he has you. To those weary and who slow proclaiming him this morning, it's a reminder we all need a fresh vision of the Savior. A reminder that those who have experienced being converted have their hearts transformed and they are not only praising Him, not only are we proclaiming Him. Listen, this transformation of our hearts leads to the prioritizing of Him. Our priorities just change. Things that once became valuable aren't as valuable anymore. Things that we thought we had to have, no longer do I have to have that. There's things that once used to satisfy my flesh that no longer satisfies. Romans 6 says, what benefit did you reap at that time? From the things that you are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. So listen to the invitation here about prioritizing him. Verse 50 or verse 1 of Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Two folks are invited here. One is listed here in verse 1. Notice what it says. They have no what? Come on now. They have no what? They have no money. Now listen, Now we could say that poverty is no restriction to coming to Christ. Absolutely. But I think again, as we spiritualize this text to some extent, and I think we need to, we realize, listen, that there are those who have tried everything else today, and you are here to say, you know what? I am just dry, man. Dude, you don't have to convince me that stuff doesn't satisfy. I'm convinced of it. it. It won't. It doesn't. It hasn't. It never will. I just need, I need something to fill me that will finally once and for all satisfy me. And I'm here today and I don't have anything to give. You may come. To the other group. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not what? Doesn't satisfy. Others of you, listen, maybe you're not there. You're still trying to find that satisfaction. 
So man, you, you, you need, just like it's just, it's just this never ending game, right? Like, I mean, you, you have to have always just like, a, it's a new car, it's a new trip, it's a new house, it's a new city, maybe it's a new spouse, it's a new diet, it's a new hobby, right? It's a new job, it's a new business adventure, like it's just on and on, like it, it just never ever ends, like you just keep thinking, listen, if I just had this, then I would be happy. Like if I ever make it to there, then my family will be good and then we'll be happy, right? Like if I ever get to this point, he says, listen, man, you can labor for that as long as you want, but it won't satisfy. You can spend, spend, spend your money and your time, but it will not satisfy. And the invitation to those folks is this. Come. 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 It's interesting. He, he, he cites an invitation to come four different times, but notice what else he says here. Look at it says. Twice he uses this word. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The question is, how could someone that doesn't have money, Isaiah, actually even buy anything like that? Like, how's that even possible? Because, listen, there was a price to pay to come and drink from this, but it's been paid by someone else other than you. It's been paid by the servant on the cross, bearing the wrath of God as he took on your sin and shame. So yes, it is at a cost, but listen, you could never pay it anyway. And so someone, the God-man, Jesus Christ, stepped in and took your punishment. It's these words that Jesus is alluding to in John 7 and the last day of that feast as He stands and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and what? And drink. Whoever believes in me, he says, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Now this he said about the spirit. Listen, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been what? He had been glorified. Three quick things just to, as Jesus alludes to this statement here in Isaiah 55 and 1. Notice what he says, that this thirsting, as we hear Isaiah give the invitation for anyone who's thirsty, come. The thirsting, look what he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Listen, this thirsting is what? For believing, right? Now, so look, the drinking that we are to do, right, is ultimately believing in Christ. So when you hear that invitation to come and drink, it's an invitation, Jesus says, to come and believe on him. Notice what he says here, secondly, that out of his heart. Jesus says that when you come and believe on me, I will change your heart. How? And that's what he says. Will flow rivers of living water. What is this living water? Now this, the living water, he said about the what? The Spirit. Jesus is saying, listen guys, I want you to know that I will put my Spirit in you that will change you from the inside out. Right? No more like you have to do this, you have to serve, you have to give money in the plate, you have to come to church, you have to tell somebody about Jesus, you have to praise me. Right? Like, I mean, you have to spend time in prayer. Like, all of this just becomes religious. Unless, unless there's a change of your heart. And Jesus says this happens by coming and believing on me, drinking from me, receiving the Spirit of God, and it's transforming your life. Look at this further, this transformation. Verse 6, seek the Lord, he says, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Listen, we come to the Lord as we are, but not to stay as we are. 
We come to the Lord as we are. But Isaiah says it's not to stay as you are. Notice the evidence here of repentance and transformation. Look what he says. Let the wicked do two things specifically. He's to forsake, notice here, his way. And he's to forsake his thoughts. What needs to change about your ways? What needs to change about your ways of life? What you look maybe at on your phone? How you're spending your money? The places that you're going? The people that you're hanging with? Maybe you're out running looking for fights or just to stir up trouble at school or work by gossiping and stretching the truth. Listen, you and I need to forsake our ways. But not only forsaking our ways. Look, he says forsaking his thoughts. Why? Because Proverbs 23 and 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so what? So is he. Your thoughts, listen, are having such an impact. That's why if you don't see this hope today, listen, you're going to keep looking for that. You're going to keep trying to spend and live for that. That the culture says you've got to have it. You've got to have it. This gospel says, no, there's a transformation. There's a forsaking of the thoughts, not only of your own, but the forsaking of the thoughts of this culture and this world, which is perishing. Listen. There's a temptation always to work harder, to be consumed with more money or to build bigger and better. And for some of us, listen, that's led to the neglect of our family. I can tell you, listen, and many of you can say the same thing. When I walk out of here each day, there's always I need more time to study. There's another text that needs to be responded to, another call, another email that needs to be made. Right. Another visit that needs to happen, another shut-in needs to be checked on, another leader that needs to be encouraged. Right. But listen, we have all got listen. This is important. This is practical. We've all got to come to a place to say, you know what? That's enough for today. And if by the Lord's will, he lets me live to see tomorrow, I'll pick it back up then. Come on, some of it. Listen, I mean, it's just we've got to forsake that way of living, that way of thinking. Our culture just drives it. But there's hope. Listen, for anyone who will repent and return today, listen, this hope as we close. Let him return to the Lord. What's it look like to return to the Lord? Notice what happens. That. Here's what's going to happen today. If you will return to him. If you will look to him. He may have compassion on him. Today you can receive mercy. Not getting what your sins deserve. Dying and going to hell. Separated from a holy God forever. Today if you would return to the Lord. The Lord would have compassion on you. And to our God. For listen what it says. He will abundantly pardon. No matter how dirty you feel. Today, there is abundant forgiveness and pardon by the name of Jesus Christ. Listen further. Why? You say, Blake, that sounds impossible. He does. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are, listen, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It is the grace and mercy and the glory of God to forgive sinners. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Listen to what he says here. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's word never returns empty. So today, despite your circumstances, the call is to keep praising Him because of what the servant has done on your behalf despite the culture and despite your circumstances. 
this, listen, this purpose of God in writing His Word here is that you and I might keep proclaiming Him. Why? That this tent that is going to enlarge and bring the nations in, that you and I would be a part of that in our daily lives, in this community, and to the nations. Listen, this purpose of God will be accomplished. Listen, it will be accomplished that we will prioritize Him. Why? Because the power of Jesus Christ forgives us of every sin and stain. It transforms our thoughts and our ways as the Spirit of God comes upon us. So this morning, to everyone who is thirsty, come and drink. Would you pray with me? Father, please, let us come and drink. Father, for those here today who are hurting, in their own strength, there's no way they can praise You. They're storm-tossed. They're not comforted. Father, but today, Your Word is comforting them to let them know that they have something greater than this culture could ever satisfy. Father, today, we have a call to enlarge the tent, to make known the name of Jesus. Father, today, would You birth it in the heart of a student to return back to their school to share the Gospel with a teacher or a classmate? Would you birth it in the heart of a, of a man or a woman to return to their job this week to share the gospel? Even now, would you place upon their heart and mind that person that they pass? Father, I pray now for the priorities of our hearts. Maybe we're trying to buy it, work for it, but it'll never satisfy. For those who are trying to feel it everywhere else. Today, God, would you just transform the priorities of their hearts? that they would turn from their ways and forsake those thoughts and come and experience mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. Help us, Lord. May Your Spirit today be the one who gives the true invitation to come and drink. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.